Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep "The Long Years" by Ray Bradbury. This was first published in Maclean's September fifteenth, nineteen forty-eight. Uh, and then very shortly thereafter, in Planet Stories, spring 1949, as Dwellers in Silence. Later on, it would be, uh, I guess just the next year, actually, would be put into the Martian Chronicles uh, in 1950. Uh, fix-up book, they call it, right? It's a, a fix-up novel. Actually, hmm. We can uh, talk about that. Yeah, and it, it gets a slight title change with uh, the addition of the year it's set. Um, and there's significant change in the text. Is there? In There is, indeed. Okay, interesting. So uh, I, I, today I read through the uh, Planet Stories version because the OCR, or not the OCR, the uh, scan is much better. Um, it's the exact same text as far as I can tell as the original McLean's, although the McLean's has more more beautiful color il- illustrations than the Planet Stories. Although um, I did notice that in the McLean's edition, mm-hmm. it's by Roy Bradbury. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, that error still remains to this day. Um, if you go to the McLean's website, you can still see they've got, they've got it up as Roy Bradbury, which is uh, Ray's brother, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Um, in any case, um, this is a story that Ray Bradbury uh, fixed up a number of times. In fact, you know, there's a a TV adaptation that he wrote, um, and it stars Robert Culp, who I think is a good actor, fun fun character actor and he's he's elderly in that role which is the character's age uh, ray bradbury is not writing this when he's elderly but he was when he was writing it in the 80s or a lot older anyways um this is a very interesting story and uh unlike a lot of the stories we do on this podcast i want to do uh, a little more meta stuff because it's just so interesting now. I'm thinking, why wasn't it included, like so many of the others that are Martian stories, why wasn't it included in other collections? Why, why was this one put into the Martian Chronicles? So we've done a number of stories, like I, Mars was one um, we did recently that's basically the same story as this, except without the family. <laughs> There's a lot of weird... Uh, stuff going on in Ray Bradbury's head. And I think it's just, he he's basically a poet with a, a few themes. And this is a really nice example of one of his going backs to those same ideas that he's always interested in. You feeling that? I think, uh, there are, you're right. There's an enormous amount of, um, a kind of exquisite control of the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, to call him poetic seems entirely appropriate. Uh, uh, there are themes in this story that run throughout the Martian Chronicles. Uh, they are somewhat different. There, there are other themes mm-hmm. that are crucial in the work of Bradbury 
the the whole body of his work. I mean, think of things like the Halloween tree or the Illustrated Man uh, or something wicked this way comes. Uh, Bradbury is uh, like Stephen King, very much invested in what it means for a child to grow up. But mm-hmm. this story doesn't have any of that in it. So the, it is true that there are, in my view, um, recurring themes in Bradbury's body of work that occur here that, in fact, are crucial here. But they are uh, not all of his themes. And there's one theme in this story that I think is quite rare in Bradbury's work, um, which I would point out if we uh, – uh, had a little bit of a summary of the story to make sure people know what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why don't you do an attempt on that, if you wouldn't mind? It, the story is told in uh, at, initially in third-person limited. So it's a story told by a third-person narrator, but it's all through the mind of a single character named Hathaway. And Hathaway, we quickly learn, is... Uh, on Mars, Earth has somehow burned up. Uh, he is on Mars with his wife and three children, two daughters and a son. And they are simply waiting. He, he looks up to the sky all the time to see if anybody is going to come. He believes that they are the last uh, beings on, on Mars. Uh, in the course of the story, he sees that there is a uh, fiery thread of red that indicates a rocket. He burns the nearby ruins of a Martian city that had been that is an, an, an earthling city that had been built on Mars so that the conflagration will attract them. They come down. The captain comes out, meets him, and realizes that Hathaway is someone that he had seen in on on television, in educational TV, when he, the captain, had been a, a youngster. Mm-hmm. But here it is years later. Uh, we find out it's the one, the, the only rocket ship available to the Earth now. Four years from now, more will be available. It's kind of not very clever use of economics here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the captain comes to realize that Hathaway, in fact, is alone that the wife and children are robots having been created by Hathaway. They are so good that the other men on the arriving ship don't realize they're robots. But when Hathaway has a heart attack and dies, they bury him next to the graves of his actual wife and children who had died 20 years previously in a plague. And they don't tell um, they, 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 they come back and tell uh, the wife, the robot wife, but she doesn't mourn because Hathaway had said there was nothing worse than to lose the people you love and be alone. So he had never created them with the ability to understand that loss or to cry. Uh, but at the very end, one of the crewmen suggests, well, shouldn't we dismantle them? Shouldn't we actually shoot them? And uh, the captain says, if you can do that, you're a better man than I. Uh, he comes back five minutes later and says, I couldn't do it. And the last paragraph of the story is one long sentence mm-hmm. that recapitulates what the story had been about 
and ends with the question, really, of whether or not we can understand what constitutes life. Uh, Let me read that last paragraph, Mm -hmm. Jesse. And now, on nights when the wind comes over the Dead Sea bottoms and through the hexagonal graveyard where there are four old crosses and one new fresh one, there is a light burning in the low stone hut on the edge of the burned new New York and in that hut, As the wind roars by and the dust sifts down and the cold stars burn, are four figures, a woman, two daughters, and a son, tending a low fire for no reason, and talking and laughing. And this goes on night after night for every year and every year. And some nights, for no reason, the wife comes out and looks at the sky, her head hands up, for a long moment looking at the green burning of earth, not knowing why she looks, knowing nothing. And then she goes back in and throws a stick on the fire and the wind comes up and the dead sea goes on being dead. Now, when I said that there are themes in Bradbury that aren't here, although the major themes are here, The one that I think is so powerful in this story that is not typical of Bradbury's work as a whole is the question, what constitutes humanity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's present here. Um, I'm not sure he's asking it on purpose, but it's definitely in there. I think so too. I, I I don't know that he's asking it on purpose. I don't think I don't think it's one of the themes that that attracts him often. He's not a technologist at all. In fact, uh, when asked, he said he doesn't think of himself as a fantasy, as a science fiction writer. He thinks of himself as a fantasy writer. Some of his works happen to be taken as science fiction. This is a story that's taken as science fiction, but it's it's really just fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a story about loneliness and an automaton. It could just as well have been something else out of Greek legend, mm-hmm. uh, ex- except from what we understand about Mars. But we knew really in 1948 as well as 1950, um, you couldn't breathe the atmosphere on Mars. This is, this is a fairy tale mm-hmm. location. Um, and because he's not concerned with technology and he's not concerned with meeting the truly alien – uh, he's more concerned with how estranged we are from each other, mm-hmm. how how there is evil in the world and parents and children don't always understand each other and how loneliness uh, divides us. Uh, because he's concerned with those things, I don't think he often does ask what exactly makes something human. Mm-hmm. But but So I'm with you, Jesse. I think... This wasn't sort of thoughtfully done on his part, but I think it's there, it and is. I think that's what makes the story great, actually. Yeah, it, it is a pretty great story. Um, the the story it most reminds me of, um, especially if you sort of block out parts of it from, you know, you put your hands against the page and prevent you from seeing <laughs> stuff, um, is the story we did, uh, it came out earlier this year, um, I Mars, also known as Night Call Collect. That's a much more uh, common title for it, and mm-hmm. it's it's about a man stranded on Mars who's left behind, but he has no family, and what he does to fight the loneliness over the 
long years, <laughs> is to record his voice into various uh, telephone systems and then have them basically haunt him <laughs> for the rest of his life um, on Mars. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it, it shares a lot of the themes uh, that this story has. But there's so many themes in here. So I just made a, a very short list here of of things that are in this that are sort of resonant throughout most of the Bradbury I've read. I haven't read everything, but I've read a lot. Uh, family. Sound. Sound plays a huge role in here. Childhood. Nostalgia. Uh, or memory, but I think nostalgia. Tears. <laughs> there's a lot of tears in here. Um, in this particular story, there's a lot of fire, fire imagery. It's pretty interesting, actually. Um, loneliness, clearly. Um, but most importantly, wind. We have done another podcast on wind. <laughs> the wind that Radbury, Ray Bradbury uh, wrote about. And it this story begins and ends with the wind. Um, you read the final paragraph. I'm going to read the opening paragraph. When the wind came through the sky, he and his small family would sit in the stone hut and warm their hands over a small fire. The wind would stir the canal waters and almost blow the stars out of the sky. But Mr. Hathaway would sit contented and talk to his wife, and his wife would talk back, and he would talk to his two daughters and his son about the old days on earth, and they would all reply neatly. And then that final line, right? Not knowing why she looks, knowing nothing, and the, and then she goes back in and throws a stick on the fire, and the wind comes up, and the dead sea goes on being dead. Um, so, I thinking about that ending, and I, I, I there's actually an X minus one adaptation, not by Bradbury, but of Bradbury's story of this. And there's a Dimension X, uh, which uses the same script, different actors. Um, two audio dramas. There's the Ray Bradbury television adaptation. Um, and he's fiddling with it a little little bit in that. Um, apparently you're saying the uh, the text is slightly different in, um, in the uh, Martian Chronicles adaptation. Um, I, I was thinking that, you know, another way of retitling this instead of Dwellers in Silence... Or um, uh, the long years is actually another of his stories, Mars's Heaven, which is another reworking of the same idea. Is that, I mean, if you look at the ending here, he didn't shoot the the captain didn't shoot the robots. You mean, you mean the crewman? The crewman didn't. Yeah. yeah, the crewman didn't shoot the robots. They left them. But I note that in the Ray Bradbury television adaptation, we actually see not uh, the wife and the kids only. We also see the husband there. And I think he's almost playing with the idea of like death and legacy and, and what, what would, what is heaven? Not heaven on earth, heaven on Mars. He's he's very much thinking about these emotions that basically he feels so strongly and doesn't care much about the technology. The technology is only in service of these 
emotions and his feelings about how they could be serviced by some magical almost technology. I think the long years would form a, a wonderful contrast with Mars's Heaven. Mars's Heaven is the third expedition in mm-hmm. the Martian Chronicles, and uh, it's one in which the uh, the Earth characters get to Mars and they encounter what they think are their lost, their their their, their dear departed. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it turns out that those are Martians who are able to. Uh, fool the minds of the uh, earthlings by presenting themselves as the most fondly desired people in the lives of those earthlings. And just as our viewpoint character comes to realize that they may have, in fact, have been trapped into trusting these people, um, the knife descends and they are all killed. So in Mars's heaven, the attraction of the Martian landscape, this fairy land, it turns out to be a seductive one that destroys human beings, whereas in the long years, or dwellers in silence, the ability of a human being to construct human life here, even out of uh, machinery, um, it, it's hardly heaven, mm-hmm. but it is, in fact, an extraordinary defense against uh, loneliness. So there's something wonderful here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what Hathaway has done was, in fact, to create his dear departed. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you're putting those two stories together. I think Bradbury was brilliant in putting them toward the beginning and toward the end of the Martian Chronicles. It's mm-hmm. part of the way in which the, 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 the composite novel works its way into and out of um, the Earth conception of what Mars could be. I agree. There's um, <laughs> This isn't all sadness and dirges here. There's actually a little funny little bit. I wonder if they changed it for the... Uh, or if Bradbury changed it for Martian Chronicles. I do not remember. Uh, we did that years and years ago on another podcast, um, and I haven't read it since. But... Um, I didn't notice it then, and I think it's just so cute <laughs> here. So on my copy of Dwellers in Silence um, from Planet Stories, I marked on page 54 on the second column a, a paragraph uh, where the captain uh, is introduced to our main character, and he lists all his crewmen. And I want to read that for you. Nonsense. Just let me sit here. A moment. It's good to see you all. It's good to hear your names. What were they again? You introduced me, but when you're excited, you don't see or hear or do anything right. Parsons and Glasbow and Williamson and Hamilton and Spalding and Ellison and Smith and someone named Brackett. And that's all <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and I'm looking at that list and I'm like, wait, wait. Um, let me just check this out. I don't know Parsons. I don't know Glasbow, but Williamson, that could be Jack Williamson <laughs> and yep. Hamilton. Uh, I believe that's Edmund Hamilton and Ellison, uh, Harlan Ellison. No, so Harlan Ellison isn't publishing that early. It, it, it seems a little, it seems a little early, right? Spalding, I also don't recognize, but it could be, um, Smith. 
could be. That's undoubtedly Doc Smith. I was thinking it could it could also be Clark Ashton Smith. I know they're not uh, on mm. the same team exactly, but they are both published in Weird Tales. Um, and it is very early. But lastly, and I think most funnily, um, Brackett. <laughs> Lee yes. Brackett, who is yep. very much a Planet Stories person. Um, so he's being a little bit playful in his morning here. I like, I really like, um, I like that there are almost meditations on the same idea in the same way that when I read Philip K. Dick, I feel like he's struggling with these weighty philosophical concepts, like what, how do, what knowledge is and what's the right thing to do and how do we know those sort of ideas whereas Bradbury is like I have all these feelings what do they mean <laughs> and how do I how do I express them yeah I, I I was fortunate enough to know Ray Bradbury not well but I I, I did know him and uh, and I admired him I liked him uh, so I mean no disrespect here but I don't think that he primarily sought meaning when he said i have all these feelings expression is i think i I think he wanted to know how can i feel them more more powerfully how can Mm. i convey them he 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 pursued feeling often for feelings sake Mm -hmm. um and i think that's true here by the way i just looked it up harlan ellison was born in 1934 so he would have been 14 when uh, yeah it's this story was written it's a little early for him um, but the thing is, is I'm, I'm not like I'm not 100 percent sure Parsons and Glasgow aren't SF authors that I've forgotten, or Spalding. It doesn't sound familiar, but Williamson, Hamilton, Brackett, and Smith. Those are E.E. Uh, e. Doc Smith would have been uh, even more likely than Clark Ashton. But I I can't say unless Ray Bradbury was in the room and say, "Are you making a little joke here?" Right. Um, oh, I think that's so. I, I can. I would go back even further. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm glad you picked up on that. I, I didn't have a chance to reread the version that appears in the Martian Chronicles. I don't remember there being a crew at all. Yeah, I remember, no, I don't remember either. In fact, it's not Parsons. It's Wilder, who was oh. who was from the fourth expedition, right? Right. And Wilder is sent off planet from Mars to go further out. And years later, Wilder is returning alone because Earth is now, you know, it's had its atomic war. And when Wilder comes back, he and he alone finds Hathaway and his family. But we still have the same thing of, of the greeting and the heart attack. But mm-hmm. all of this scene about the men coming together and the breakfast, mm-hmm. that's reminiscent of the story Mars is Heaven, mm-hmm. where the whole crew rushes out and has a meal and so on. So it's a terrific combination that you're, you're pointing to there, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Wilder is, is a different guy. And I don't believe, I don't recall that we have the names of the children. However, or of the family, right. I, it, it may be there. I just don't recall. Uh, but... In the version we're reading today from Planet Stories, the wife's name is Alice. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you, someone who hasn't picked up on the science fiction references might just wonder if this were Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. But I don't think so. I think this is Alice from Ralph 124C41+. Uh-huh. 
right? And that Alice is the one who is kidnapped by the Martians and whom Ralph has to chase across the solar system in order to retrieve. And Ralph and Alice in Ralph 124C41+, I feel sure, lent their names to the honeymooners, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, mm-hmm. one of these days, Alice, pow, right to the moon. Right. Right? Ralph and Alice Cramden. And if you ever look at any uh, kinescopes of those old TV shows, they always begin with um, a shot of the full moon mm-hmm. out, out of their apartment window in New York. This is an Alice from Mars, again, a science fiction reference. So we have a young Ray Bradbury. I think he was born in 21. Is that? I'm, I'm not Sounds remembering. Sounds about right. right so um, he's then in his 20s himself. Um, and he's pulling up the science fiction that he's read. And he's those born names in 20. That, I, Sorry. He was born in 20. Thank yeah. you. Uh, he's pulling up the science fiction that he's read. Um, and even to the characters, it's it's delightful. But I don't think that it's actually in the uh, in the Martian Chronicles. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's slimmed down enormously in the Martian Chronicles in order to let it function as part of the development of the single story that that is a composite novel dealing with. Um, there's there's a lot of food in this story and and uh, drink as well. Um, and to me, the most striking images are one is, uh, that, I mean, it's almost science fictionally iconic in that it's so it's, it, it seems to extend well beyond this story. I'm just trying to think of if there's anything more iconic when he gets the wine out and he says, I've been saving this as after he sees the rocket coming. And he pours the glasses, um, and they all raise their cups to their lips, and none of the others, other than him, can drink, and it dribbles over their chins. Um, it's yeah. a very strong image. Um, but the other one that's striking to me is is the scent of gingerbread, um, <laughs> because gingerbread is something I really enjoy. <laughs> I enjoy the actual food of gingerbread but i also enjoy the you know the construction of the houses and you know the gingerbread boys um so it's a very um nostalgic sort of young uh person's idea but that's one that's what alice makes right uh just read that section from the stone hut came the rich brown smell of baked gingerbread his wife stood over the table, setting down the hot pans of n- new bread as Hathaway ent- entered. Now, the way I'm thinking about it, uh, uh, when you're reading this story, um, especially if you're reading it for the first time, I, I remembered this story, so I, I knew what was coming. Um, but I also, I also can imagine reading it without that knowledge, that foreknowledge, but looking back at it, you know, that they're robots, basically. Um, but looking back at it, uh, now, I mean, gingerbread is can be a house, which is, you know, there's a lot made of the stone hut that they're in. Um, but also gingerbread men. Um, and the fact that it combines both the, the scent and the, and the taste of that very distinctive, you know, it's not any old cookie. But then 
it's described as bread. And it's, it's I think Bradbury's just like picking up something, right? That little, the, the daughters are sweeping the floor. The son is polishing the silverware. They're all going to have breakfast. But for 20 years, only one of them's been eating. Um, I, I picked up on the gingerbread too. And I think that you're right about it being a, uh, a part of growing up in many homes, particularly Christian homes, homes that, that observe Christmas customs. But I think there is another gingerbread house that is at least as famous for uh, me. And what we have here then, as in Hansel and Gretel, Mm -hmm. we have the house, which is a trap. And we have Gretel sweeping up, we're told, you know, in this mm-hmm. grim tale, she's sweeping all the time. Hansel is to be made into dinner, mm-hmm. right? So he's, we've got here the polishing the silverware. He is on his way to making dinner function. Gretel, the, the daughters, are doing the sweeping, keeping the house clean. And the older woman mm-hmm. is the one who is making the gingerbread. But Hathaway... He Hathaway about him, you know. <laughs> Hathaway created his own seductive trap because yes. he couldn't create what he really wanted. He could never get back his wife and child and children. And that leads me then to ask whether this fairyland is intended to be an alternative to, a comment on, mm. or irrelevant to Christianity. There's, because we get, I mean, these people don't just die and have graves. These are crosses. And he looks up and says, mm-hmm. Lord, Lord, and so on. I mean, there are references here that makes one, makes me think that we're, you know, in a Christian de- domain. On the other hand, I'm not Christian, and when I stub my toe, I say, Jesus Christ! Mm-hmm. But so it's part of the language. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. a reflection of one's belief. What do you think about the relationship of this story to Christianity, Jesse? Let me give you uh, a couple of quotes from the story. This is from page 53 on the left column. Lord, Lord, how the years passed. It seems only a day now. I couldn't have stood it without you here, all of you. I couldn't have stood it at all. I'd have killed myself without you. And then later on in the story, on page 56, the meal ended with wine brought from the rocket. Hathaway rose to his feet, holding his glass. A toast to all of you. It is good to be with friends again. He moved his wine glass ever so little in the air. And to my wife and my children, without whom I could not have survived alone, it is only through their kindness in caring for me that I have lived on, waiting for your arrival. Else, years ago, I would have put a bullet in my head. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to point out that line. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is Bradbury and his what a craftsman. And to my wife and my children, without whom I could not have survived alone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say without whom I could not have survived. Mm-hmm. In other words, he knows he has survived alone. Yes, he's. It's it's so interesting to think about like the psychology of of this man we don't see it from his point of view we only see his words and we see his actions he's pouring them wine 
He knows that they can't drink it. So are you suggesting that this is a, a, a mass? This is a Eucharist? Are you, yeah, this is it's part of your reply to the Christianity of this? It's very interesting because I don't think Ray Bradbury was a very strong Christian. I think he grew he up not. in a Christian country. And yet, um, like so many, he – I mean this story and many others – I mean so many stories are about immortality. And and that's like, what is the purpose of life? And what? So he's saying, I needed you. He wanted his family to live, but Ray Bradbury designed this story. There was no plague on Mars, right? <laughs> this is all designed to explore some feelings. And so uh, I think that in stories like this, where he, I mean, the whole Martian Chronicles, really, it's. It's about meaning, finding meaning. So how's the Martian Chronicles end? What's it called? Is it called The Martians, The Last? No, it's called Millionaire Picnic. Millionaire but, Picnic, but, exactly. but the last paragraph has the father looking into the, uh, telling the children who said, you're going to show us the Martians. That's right. And he has the children look into the canal, water, and they see their own reflection. And he says, they are the Martians. Indeed. And and that's an, a way to bring that dead civilization back to life. The, the tomb planet, as it's described at the beginning of this story, Mars was a tomb planet. And yet, for Bradbury, and uh, clearly for us, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.